Welcome, everybody. Good morning to you. Have a seat. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church, the luckiest man alive, and uh, you are blessed as well. You're here this morning. We're here to worship. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, second week in a message series entitled Simple. We were trying to just get it back to plain, back to plain language, back to the plain message of Scripture about the essentials of the Christian life. Last week, we talked about salvation. We used the verse Romans 10, 9, for if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. The message of salvation is simple. Forgive us as preachers for making it sound more complicated than it is. God isn't willing for anyone to perish. He wants everybody to come to salvation. He has made salvation easy by doing everything necessary for us to Christ on the cross. Salvation is, is, is great news. Today, let's talk about church. Let's talk about church. Now, I know that I'm talking uh, in this room, I'm talking to a church crowd, those of you in cafe, you're here today. And so I, I, I get that. But, but understand the trend. The trend is away from, from weekly church attendance. Now, I, I, know, I, I know that not everybody in the world ever went to church and not everybody ever wanted to. I, I get that. I, I, I understand that. However, there have always been people in, in, the, in the family of God who were very, very devoted to church attendance, very, very devoted to the church. Yesterday, I was blessed to be a part of the funeral services for Lucy Edwards, Glenda's mother. Uh, Miss Edwards had been a part of Sulphur Springs Baptist Church for 80 years, over 80 years. And she was a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school. And, and on top of that, I understand that through the years, she would slip in on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and clean the place. Uh, you understand? A woman very, very devoted to church. Now, I, I recognize that some of you aren't that person, probably don't ever see yourself becoming that person, but do you understand the beauty of that kind of a devotion? Yeah. Do you understand that? And you also understand that the more people like Lucy Edwards that, that I bury as a pastor, the fewer there are who take her place. Uh, recent statistics, which I've already mentioned to you because it breaks my heart, recent st st statistics indicate that those who used to attend church four times a month, and that's just every Sunday morning, and those are considered the most faithful. Those who used to attend every week, now they tend to go three out of four. So we don't have a lot of people anymore who come to church, as we used to say, every time the door is open. Fewer and fewer people come every time the door is open. The most faithful people that we see are only coming about three-fourths of the time anymore. Now, the problem with that is it weakens the church. The entire church begins to uh, suffer from the fact that the best example that we have would be someone who's only 75% committed. You understand? Now, I recognize, I understand the difficulty of this because some of you would, you know, last week I had you in the palm of my hand. I mean, if you don't get saved, you go to hell. Everybody knows that. But if you don't go to church, actually you get to see the season premiere of Walking Dead on Sunday night, which I will miss, you understand, because I'll be here, you'll, you'll be there. Or, or maybe, the, I don't know, the season finale of The Bachelor in Paradise, you know, is that a Sunday night thing? I, I mean... We, we, see, we understand the importance of salvation, but now going to church, that, that seems to be something that's good for you when you can make it, but nobody needs to get all fanatical about it. And, and can we talk about that this morning? Can we talk about what the scripture says? Hebrews 10, 25 is where we'll be. This is the single verse for today, but if you will, have your Bibles open so we can back up a little bit 
and, uh, and see what leads to this verse. But Hebrews 10.25 says this. It's on the screen. Just read it with me. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people. I love that phrase, as some people do. You know, you know, it's kind of like you look down your pew as some people do. Uh, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, uh, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Hebrews 10, colon, 25. Let us not neglect our meeting together. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near, especially now. A while back, uh, Burtsville, Kentucky made the news. And you're thinking, what? Burtsville, Kentucky made the news? Did a, did a meth lab explode? No, 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 no. It's actually worse than that. Um, I don't know if you caught this. It, it, it was a couple of years ago, but it did make the Associated Press. Uh, a man in Burtsville, Kentucky, brought a lawsuit against his church. He sued the church. Here's the story. Man's lawsuit says, church welched on fellowship promise. That's the headline. The Bible says God loveth a cheerful giver, but A.B. Cash says his church has given him little to be cheerful about. So he's suing to get back the money he tossed in the collection plate. I did it out of a sense of hurt, said Cash, age 49. It's not about money, it's about snobbery, lies, and broken promises. The Reverend Lewis Moses and fellow worshipers totally turned their backs on me and my family, the lawsuit said. Cash seeks $600 in offerings made over two years and the return of a 125 gift that he gave to Pastor Moses and $275 in punitive damages. Cash said his family's dissatisfaction with the church began in 1989 when his mother-in-law died and his wife underwent gallbladder surgery. We was in real bad shape financially, said Cash, a disabled Vietnam veteran who does not work. The pastor promised to come by and he never did come by anymore. Cash said the family was half starving but received no assistance from the congregation. He also claims his seven-year-old daughter was kept from a church-run kindergarten program because the teacher said she would slow down the learning of the other children. That's just typical of some of their attitudes, he said. The church is about 15 miles from the Tennessee line in south-central Kentucky. It's just a small claims case, and I really wasn't expecting something that would lead up to the Battle of Armageddon, said Cash, who plans to argue his own case. They're trying to devour me. The family's been attending the House of Prayer Church in nearby Edmonton. Cash, whose wife is now six months pregnant with a couple second childs at that congregation, has been more forthcoming. They have given us love, fellowship, kindness, and they did it on their own, he said. If you were on that jury, would he win? He's suing the church for everything he ever gave them, all the money in the plate, $600. He apparently gave the pastor a gift of $125. He wants that back along with punitive damages. What do you think? How you think about that story probably would have something to do with your own experience in churches, local churches. It is that idea that I guess sometimes the church comes through, but lots of times it seems like the church doesn't come through. And when we as the body of Christ, when we fail each other, there's almost no hurt deeper than that feeling of, of being neglected or abandoned or mistreated by people who are supposed to love you as a brother or a sister. I, I, I really do understand that. I, I really do get that. 
Uh, sometimes the church comes through, but a lot of the time the church doesn't seem to come through. So what exactly do we do about that? Well, for one thing, we need to at least begin with a proper definition and idea of what the church is. If you're thinking that the church is a place where you put money in the plate and then can expect uh, certain things back in return, I don't know if it works like that. You're not buying anything by putting money in, in the plate. And, and if you're thinking that the church is a place where everyone else is, is very highly accountable for the way they treat you, but then you yourself are not accountable at all for the way you treat other people, well, then you're, you're not really understanding the definition of what the church is. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, actually, turn your, in your Bibles. Hebrews 10, chapter 25 is connected to a, a, a very beautiful passage where uh, the author of Hebrews is talking about what Christ has done for us. And I want you to be able to connect what Christ has done for you with what we do here together as the church. That's important. So start with me in verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Let's go back to there, and it's going to lead to verse 25. But notice how you get there. You get there by the way of Jesus. Hebrews 10, verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters... We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Now, what's happening here is that Hebrews is talking about what Christ has done for us, but it's going to use Old Testament language. It's going to use the Old Testament language of the temple, Old Testament language of the sacrifices where uh, bulls and, and lambs were killed and the blood would flow uh, as, as a way of making some sort of remission for sins. So when it talks about the blood of Jesus, remember we're talking about the sacrificial blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. It's that kind of language. When it talks about the veil in the temple, remember we're talking about the Old Testament temple. So, so back up. Dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise." Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So you understand, there is this incredible declaration and celebration of what Christ has done for us. Back in verse 19, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. Now, I said that we're using Old Testament language. Uh, if you're not familiar with this, understand that, that in the Old Testament, there was the, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And in the temple, uh, deep in the belly of the temple was the most holy place. And this was considered to be the place where God's presence dwelt. 
God dwelt with his people, but not in the sense that he dwells with us now because of what Jesus has done, but, but in the sense that God would come and dwell with his people, but his presence was, was primarily contained in the most holy place in their minds. And that most holy place was separated off by a veil, but by a curtain, a very, very dense, heavy, impenetrable curtain. Understand that? So nobody goes in except the priest, and that would have only been once a year. You understand? God's presence was considered to be so powerful. God's presence was considered to be dangerous. You don't just wander in there. You don't walk in there because you sin, and I sin. And sin cannot exist in the presence of a holy God who burns like fire. You ever had a piece of tissue paper or a thin piece of paper and, and, and you, you have that near an open flame? If you take that paper close enough to the fire, what happens? It's just consumed. It just burns. It just burns. And this is how sin is in the presence of a holy God. It simply cannot exist. It is consumed in the blazing furnace of his holiness. This is the nature of God. He is holy, and there is nothing unrighteous, nothing that is sinful, nothing that is impure about him. So anything that is impure, anything that pertains to unrighteousness, anything that is imperfect, it simply is destroyed in the blazing power of his holiness. So they roped off the most holy place. They put a curtain so nobody would wander in. Because if you wandered in, his holiness would slay you. You understand that? So the scripture says, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. Do you understand the, the alarming and surprising and beautiful nature of that declaration? We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. We can walk right in, the scripture says, because of what Jesus has done. Jesus has cleansed me from all unrighteousness. Jesus has taken my sins as far as east is from the west. So now I can walk right into the presence of God. I can be declared to be his son, his child, and I will be with him forever. There is no guilt. There is no shame. There is nothing that can separate me from the love of God. Do you understand that? And that's because of Jesus. So, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way, a new and living way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest, who's our priest? Jesus. Since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, now let us go right into it. And this is where it starts. Verse 21 starts kind of a, 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 a domino effect. You understand? Verse 21 says, since we have this great high priest ruling over God's house. Now, if you read that verse and you thought that was talking about me, that's just the first of your problems. You understand? That, that's the first of why the joke's on you if you, if you were thinking that, that somehow I was the great high priest ruling over God's house. See, the, the church is, is not really so much what you see here. It is what you see here. But, but, but the church is, is more than just Woodburn Baptist Church. It's greater. It's bigger. The, the body of Christ is visible here in this local body. But in another sense, it's invisible because you can never see everybody all at once who, who belongs to Christ and is in Christ. 
And so truly, the great high priest is not any single preacher. It's, it's no preacher you've ever known. It's not a denominational board. The one who rules God's house is Jesus himself. He is our priest. He is the head of this church too. Understand that. So because of that, because of everything Jesus has done, because of this new and living way that he has opened up by shredding the curtain that divided us from God's presence so that now we walk right in. Now understand, there are three things, three things important now. Since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house first, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. To understand, sin was our problem, sin is always a problem, and the only answer for sin is the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice for my sin. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. Somebody had to die, but God proves his love for us, and that while we are still sinners, Christ dies for us. You understand? So that penalty for sin has been paid, and so there is now no longer anything that separates me from him. So the first thing you understand is that you go right into the presence of God. You go right in. You don't need somebody's permission. You don't need somebody else to invite you. You don't need somebody to pray for you. You don't need somebody to read the Bible to you. Listen, it is now you and God. You can walk straight in. You have access because of Jesus. And that's all of us together. So understand, in the body of Christ, in the church, we're all the same. Jesus is our priest. He goes to God for us and understand, I don't need anybody between me and Jesus. Jesus does it all. So I don't need a preacher. I don't need anything else. It is just simply access. Go right in. You go right in. Let's keep going. Since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Verse 23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Understand, we hold tightly now to what Jesus promises for us because God holds tightly to those promises. We don't waver because God doesn't waver. Problem is, a whole lot of people who call themselves Christians they waver, they wobble, that they fizzle, they flame out. But the scripture says, because God himself, he does not waver. God doesn't have good days and bad days. God doesn't have faithful seasons and unfaithful seasons. You understand, he is always the same. He is always faithful. Then you and I must also always be faithful. We don't take time off because we're a little tired, you understand? We don't do that. We don't do that because God doesn't do that. We do not waver. We hold tightly, the scripture says. And then verse 24, the third thing, let us think of ways to motivate one another. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, when I said that you got Jesus so that you don't need a priest or a preacher or anybody else, it's you and Jesus, some of you took that and ran. And that's what you've done in your life all the way up to this point. Some people just say, you know, I don't think I need the church. 
I don't need anybody else. It's just me and Jesus. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. And I can worship God in my shop. I can worship God on the boat, on the lake. I can worship God wherever I am outdoors. And I don't need anybody else. And, and on the one hand, you've got some scriptural basis for that because Jesus has made it possible for you to go right into the presence of God. You don't need anybody else. But you'll also notice that the same scripture, when you come into Christ, once you've gone boldly into his presence, all of the sudden, you find yourself connected to this next concept that Hebrews begins to repeat over and over. It's those two words, one another. It's, it's this one anotherness, and that's what most people don't understand about what the church is about. The church is not about you. The church is about one another. It's, it's, it's one another. Let me say this. Our meeting together is important because of what Christ has done in our lives and because of what we are to do in the lives of, say it, one another. It's important because of what Christ has done in our lives. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying. But it's also important because of what we are to do in the lives of one another. Here's the thing. When you came to Christ and when you were baptized into Christ according to the scriptures, you were baptized into Christ, which means at the very same instant, you were baptized into relationship with everybody else who is in Christ. All of us who are in Christ, we are now one body. And that means we're connected to one another. We are not independent of one another. In other words, what happens to me has a whole lot to do with what happens to you. And your joy and your sorrow and your spiritual progress has everything to do with my joy, my sorrow, my spiritual progress. You're not going to change that. That is the reality of being in Christ. We're connected. We are connected so yeah you can probably worship god out on the boat on the lake i've done that i love to worship god i would go so far as to say that worship actually begins not so much when rod stands up and says let's begin to sing but worship actually begins when it's all over and you walk out those doors because the scripture says you're supposed to make your life a living sacrifice that's worship Understand? So it's not so much your Sunday life, your church life, it's your life life that's a life of worship. So I get that. You can worship find out there, but, but there's something you can't do out there by yourself, and that is this one another part. You can't find out what it is that you're supposed to do in my life, and you'll never know what it is that Christ wants me to do in your life. It's, it's, it's about one another. It's, it's about one another. So big question. How often should you come to church? We're Baptists. We're kind of traditional Baptists at Woodburn, which means we have th actually three services a week, more actually, but three. We have Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Sunday morning, we actually have three services. So, I mean, I mean if you really, you know, if, if you had to, uh, which I do, uh, you know, you, you, could, you, you, could, you could put in a lot of time here. But the question becomes, how often? How often? I said that it's sort of an alarming statistic that the most faithful people in the churches these days don't come all the time. Is that a disaster? Because what if we're already asking people to come too often? I mean, as far as I know, I don't know, the scripture never says a word about Jesus going to church on Wednesday night. Chances are he didn't. 
So what does it mean that we do and what does it mean that some of us do and some of us don't? I mean, this is where it comes down to sort of uh, the way we sometimes judge each other in church and you feel looked down on if you're not here every time the door is open. If you're one of those people that has to work shift work or swing shift or third shift and you just can't make it in the morning, I mean, what does it mean? Tell me, how often should you come to church? Do you have to be here every time the door is open? Can you be a Sunday morning person and not a Sunday night person? Is, is Jesus actually putting gold stars on a chart to keep up with your attendance? Okay, let me be the first one to say, I, I think this is the wrong question. And, and those of you who know me well as pastor, I, I hope you know I don't check attendance. Honestly, I, I grew up like that. I grew up in churches that often made me feel that I was really a horrible person if I missed church even once. I don't believe that I don't believe that guilt is the motivation. When it says let's consider ways to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, I don't think guilt is the best way to spur people on to anything. That is not my heart as pastor. So if you're one of those people that shows up on Sunday, I, I'm really delighted to see you and I'm proud to be your pastor. I, I really am not checking a, a, attendance. That, that sounds like if we become a church where you have to you know, keep attendance, it sounds like a church where the Pharisees win. And I don't want to be a church where the Pharisees win. I don't want to be a legalistic church. So we're not counting how many times you show, and, and we're not. And, and, and I guess in a lot of ways, it's between you and the Holy Spirit. You're grown-ups right? You're just grown-ups. So let me say this to you. It's not an issue of how many services you attend per week, but it is an issue of desire. Jesus always took the emphasis off of, 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 of people's uh, outward things, the, 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 the kinds of things you could see on the outside. He always went straight to the heart. So let's talk about your heart. And this is something that only you can judge because I can't see your heart. But it's a real issue of desire. How often should you come to church? I, I don't know. But my question is, where would you rather be? Where would you rather be? When God's people in, in the church that you've made a commitment to, when God's people are together, where would you rather be? Well, Pastor Tim, you need to understand that I've only really only got one day. Sunday's kind of only my day, and, and Sunday's really important. Well, you need to understand what the Bible says. Actually, God says in the book of Genesis, six days you have. I mean, six days you work. You have six days. And, and God says, I have one. You understand? You, you give him one. It's the Sabbath. It's holy to him. It's, isn't that like one of the Ten Commandments? So when you say, I've only got Sunday, it's my only day. No, no, no. You have six days. Now, if you blow six days, you know, binge watching Netflix, I, I can't help you there. That's your choice. If in six days you don't manage to, to carve out the time to take care of yourself and spend time with your family, that's on you. But you don't get to come back now and say, Sunday's my only day. No, no. I, I love you. I love you with all of my heart, but your life is, is out of balance. Your priorities are out of line. If you don't have a day that you can set aside and give to God, then there's something profoundly broken about your soul. Six days you have, the Lord says, but that seventh day is holy unto me. I mean, that's there. So it comes down to, to desire. What are your priorities? Where would you rather be? 
I mean, honestly, if you're not here, where are you? And a lot of you are piled up on the couch watching television. Is that really, is that really your priority? Is that really what you want to say? Is that what, is what in your heart? Where would you rather be? With what people would you rather be? Well, Pastor Tim, I want to be with my family. I want to be home with my family. Sunday's our only family day. Well, when it comes to the one-anotherness of the church, one of your greatest obligations is to your children. You see, here's the thing. I'll speak as pastor first. I do not believe that my responsibility as pastor is to get this building full of people. Now, I will say there may be times in my ministry when I sometimes thought that way, but I don't believe that now. It is not a sign of my success when I get this room full of people. My responsibility is to get people full of God. It's to get people full of God. Jesus says that we are to make disciples of one another. So my responsibility is to spur you on toward love and good deeds. My responsibility to you is to nurture the image of Christ in you. You're supposed to make progress in becoming more and more like Christ. That's my responsibility, but it's everybody's responsibility. It's our responsibility toward one another. And if you're a parent, if you have children in your house, then those children are, are your priority. And it's not so much that you get them into college. I think the first step would be get them into heaven. Wouldn't you say? It's not so much that you get them on the right travel baseball team. Do you understand? It's about getting them into heaven. I would think that would be your priority. But unfortunately for a lot of parents, they don't see it that way at all. And, and honestly, I just don't understand the priorities of parents who train their children to make their spiritual lives some second or third or, or bottom tier priority. I don't understand that. And it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart when a, a teenager gets into trouble and the mom or dad comes into Matt Betts or comes into my office and says, Brother Tim, can you help me? Could you talk to my son? And yeah, I will always talk to your son. I love your children. But there's a part of me that just says, I've been talking to your son for 16 years, every Sunday and Sunday night and Wednesday night, but it was never important enough for you to bring them into here until his life's falling apart. Did you understand? Why would you wait? Why would you wait until his girlfriend is pregnant? Or why would you wait until your daughter screams that she hates you? Why do you wait until they're nearly all the way down the wrong path before you start training them on the right path? It's the only family day we have. Then why would you not train your children to, to find their place in the family of God? Your responsibility is to, to disciple one another. But if you have children, it starts with your children. What are you teaching them? What are you training them? I, I love you. But it's down to desire. What are the priorities? What matters to you? I'm not talking about keeping attendance at church. I'm just asking you. What is important and where would you rather be and with, and with what people would you rather be and where do you think the path you're on actually takes you? So let's go straight to it. Number one, go to church out of obedience. Just go out of obedience. The Bible says, let us not neglect meeting together. That's just there. It's plain. So you go. I'm not saying you got to go three times a week. I don't even know. I'll be here when you get here. 
It's between you and the Lord, and, and, and you know whether he is priority or not priority. I can't ever say that, and I won't try to judge that. I promise you that. But, but go out of obedience. Let us not neglect meeting together, as some people do. I mean, so, you know, don't be one of those people. Don't neglect meeting together. You go out of obedience. You go to church as a way of caring for others. Honestly, I think this is the part that so many of us really don't understand. It, you're here to take care of others. The, the scripture says because of everything Jesus has done for you, now you think of ways to spur other people on toward love and good deeds. I mean, this is why you're here. You understand? Today, you're here to try to think of a way to encourage somebody else. You see that? You're not here to see a show. Because if you came to see a show, the joke's on you. You know, this is not a very impressive show around here. It's not a show. That means you don't walk in as a spectator and, and, and then begin to evaluate the show. Music's too loud. Preacher's pants are too tight. Preacher's losing too much weight. You understand? Joking, not joking. This is not a show. You don't come to evaluate. You don't leave this room and go to your small group and then evaluate the service. You, you don't do that. You, your mind is wrong. Your heart is wrong. You, you've come to try to think of ways to encourage others to be more like Christ. And, and if you're one of those who evaluates the service, who complains, who criticizes, you're not spurring anybody on toward anything good. Let's evaluate you. And whatever problems are in this church, and there are many, many problems, we'd be a better church if you'd be a better church member, you would be a better church member. We'd be a better church because it takes all of us together. I can't do it by myself. You can't do it by yourself. Going to church is always a way of caring for other people. In all the times when the church doesn't come through, it's because we fail to take care of each other very well. And you can tell stories like that about Woodburn. But in the moments when we come through, it's the moments when we have managed to show Christ and share Christ and love each other as Christ loves us. You go to church as a way of caring for others. Truest thing I know how to tell you right here, it will not always seem as if anything is happening. Just stay with it. I am a 50-year-old man. Um, I grew up dying here with my mother. Don Harris, my father. Some of you know my parents. Um, my mom's a good cook, good cook, really good cook. But, you know, there were some Thanksgivings, I guess, where she just really, you know, hit it out of the park. I don't, I don't know. But I, I really can't, in, in 50 years of eating at her table, I can't really just name any single meal that was like, whoa. You know, if I die today, you know, I will die so full and happy. That was the best meal ever. You know, mom, boy, you really fried that bologna like bologna's never been fried. Yeah. Um, I, I, there's just not any meal that, that I'll remember till I die. You know, I, I, I eat, you know, I eat there all the time. But, but in a lifetime of eating at her table, I am very well nourished. Understand? very well nourished. And, and so we're talking about a, a, a path for your feet. We're talking about a pattern for your life and, and coming together and keep coming together and pointing one another toward goodness and, and, and Christ-likeness. Understand, it's, it's, it's a path for your feet. 
And I don't know that if at the end of this road we're going to get to you, we're going to go back and say, man, that, that sermon Pastor Tim preached on August 9th, you know, in 1997, man, that was the sermon. Y'all, do y'all remember anything? I don't think it's like that. And I'm not offended by that. Some of you this morning, when we started reminding you last week, you're thinking, was I here? <laughs> Did I come? That, that verb? I don't know if we are ever going to have a whole lot of Sundays that set the world on fire or even necessarily seem to set us on fire, but, but it's, it's a path for your feet. It's, it's a pattern for your lives, and I want to think that when we get to the end of it, we'll be very well nourished. We'll be more like Christ for having been together than we ever could have been like him if we weren't together. I, I need you. I'm not speaking as pastor, I'm speaking as Christian brother. I, I need you. I, I know myself well enough to know that I am never as faithful to Jesus by myself as I am when I'm with you. Understand that? I'm just telling you the truth. I'm never as faithful. When I'm by myself, I'm a better man when I'm with you. I'm better when you encourage me. I'm better when we come together and, and, and share the scriptures together. I'm better when you pray for me. I'm a better man for having watched some of you men show me the way to be a husband and, and a man of God, how to be faithful. I, I learned that at Woodburn Baptist Church, y'all. That's what the church does. You know the difference between a, a, a cave and a tunnel? A cave is a hole in the ground, it's dark, and you go in and then you, you, you come back out, you know, typically in the place where you started. You may have walked a long way, spent a lot of time in the dark, but, but a cave, you typically go in and, and come back out where you started. But, but, but a tunnel, you, you go in and you always come out in a different place. The, the, the church is more of a tunnel. If Sunday after Sunday you, you come in and you go out and you're the same, you're at the same place, and if in all of these weeks, months, years of following Jesus and coming to church, nothing ever changes, you're doing it wrong. We're making disciples of one another. We're making each other to become more like Christ. So, so every time I'm with you, I, I should come out in a different place, somehow further down the road of love and good works, somehow further down the road of becoming more like Christ. It's not always a dramatic difference, but over time, all the difference in the world. So here we are. We're, we're meeting together. You, you did not neglect to meet together today. While you're here, Think of ways to encourage somebody else. You have one job at church, and that is to think of ways to help somebody else love Jesus more and become more like him. That's your job. It's why you're here. This has probably been a pretty lousy show. Five or six of you are, have been asleep for 20 minutes. Don't let me wake you up now. It's not a show, though. You're here to encourage somebody. You're here to grow more like Jesus and in doing that, help somebody else become more like Jesus.
if you come in and go out and nothing ever changes about you, you apparently don't understand what the church is. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the way that you have given us access to God. We don't need a priest to pray for us. We don't need a preacher to read the Bible to us, Lord Jesus. Everything we have, we get directly from you. Everything we have comes from the Holy Spirit within us, and it is the Holy Spirit's job to sanctify us and change us and transform us, Lord. But Lord, it's amazing how you got this thing rigged in such a way where the Holy Spirit does his work through other people, other people who have the Holy Spirit in them so that in the Spirit, Lord, we need each other in ways that, that we can hardly ever explain, understand, or describe. Lord, the way I am changed by coming into the company of people who love you, Lord, that's important, it matters. Jesus, make us that church where, where people come to meet together, not because they have to, but because they want to and they understand that they need to. Help us to be that church, Lord, where we just simply always come with the idea that somebody else needs the blessing and we need to be a part of blessing somebody else. Lord, I pray that you would remove the, the, the critical complaining spirit, Lord, from us that makes us want to come in and judge the church as opposed to come on in and be the church. Lord, help us to love each other, to love you first, but to love each other and to sacrifice for one another and to find a way, Lord, to forgive one another and to think of new ways to encourage one another. Lord, show me that I did not walk into this house for myself today. I walked into this house for somebody else. So let me not leave this place, Lord, until I have touched the life of somebody else. And in the process, Lord, of touching somebody else, Lord, I have this feeling somebody else is going to bless me. We're here for one another, Lord. We are here for you. Help us, Lord, not just to go to church. Help us to be the church because of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. We stand give you an opportunity to respond. The altar's open if you wish to come and pray. Why don't you find it in your heart to pray for somebody else right now? Why don't you pray for somebody else? Get somebody else on your heart and be here in this moment for somebody else. If you have a need for physical healing, the deacons will meet you on that side. They would love to pray for you. But if the need is not yours today, find it in your heart to pray for somebody else. If you've never turned to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, if you've never found out what it means to have access to God, direct access every day of your life to God through him, would you stick around today, find me, and let me explain to you how Jesus will change your life? And if you're one of those people who says that Jesus has changed your life, would you not recommit yourself to make sure that other people can know him and love him and be encouraged in him? because that's what it means to be the church. And the minutes that remain at the service, let's have church.